All right, let's get into our new series. And in our new series, I need to... Warning. Theological term alert. Warning. I don't know. I didn't have a sound effect, so I just wanted you to know that I'm about to lay to blow your mind with a... No, I'm not really... It is a theological term that you've heard over and over. I didn't understand it as a kid. Nobody explained it to me. Here is that theological term. Incarnation. Incarnation means that God became flesh. If you want to read about it, read it in John chapter 1. But, but God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we're going to read this theme verse. By the way, that's my friend Shay, and it's okay. I'm glad she came back. And if, she, if she's just praising the Lord, that is a great thing. So thank you for being here again, Shay, my friend. All right? So she's just helping us out. Uh, she's praising. So the verse that we're going to read over and over these next couple of weeks is this, Matthew 1, and it says, Look. The virgin shall, will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Wait, 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 wait. They will call him what? Which means what? God is with us. God is with us is not just some phrase we throw around to help people when they're going through difficult times. Emmanuel is one of the names of Jesus. The prophet said he's going to be born, he's going to be sinless, and one of his names will be Emmanuel. In, in Israel, in, in the, the Hebrew culture, names were very, very important. They reflected the character of the one who carried that name. So this prophet said, not only are you going to call him Jesus, one of the names will be Emmanuel, which means his character is to be with his children. So from the time his, his birth was announced to the time he was born, throughout all eternity, the character of Jesus, the name of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, if you're a Christ follower, it's, it's real easy to believe that God is with you when things are going good. Like, you know, you get a Christmas bonus or maybe you get a big raise in the next year. <laughs> and maybe, maybe not. But that's good and you're like, oh, God is so good. Or, um, you know, when your baby sleeps through the night for the first time, you're like, yes, Lord. It was 11 months before before Caleb, my firstborn, slept through the night, and I told Janie, we cannot have any more kids. I cannot do this, right? And then we forgot, and we had more kids. Um, <laughs> then Rachel was awesome, and then Hannah was just like Caleb. So anyway, um, when they sleep through the night, you're like praising God. Or when you go to the mall, and not necessarily the Palestine Mall, but let's say the Tyler Mall, or you go to the real mall in Dallas, or let's you know, the Woodlands, and, and you get a parking place that's the first parking place next to the building. You're like, whoa, God is so good. God is with me. When my kids were little, Janie would go to Walmart, and, uh, and if one of the first three parking spaces nearest the building, it didn't matter which row, any of them, if they got one of them, they would do the, uh, the Olympic theme song, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. And if it was the first one, gold medal, good job, mom. Silver medal, bronze, dun, dun. You know, they, God is so good when I get the, the perfect parking place. Or did you know there are seven traffic signals between my house and New Life Community Church? And, and if I hit all green lights, whoa, God, you're so good to me. Because it cuts my travel time about in half. It takes about six and a half minutes if I make all green lights. But if I make, anyway. It's easy when you have all green lights or when everything's going well. It's easy to believe God is good and God is with us. But what about, what about when bad things happen, right? What about when you hit all red lights or um, something else? What, when you're in the valley, it's not always so easy to believe that God is good. When the phone rings and it changes your whole world because there's bad news on the other end of the line. Or like when your heart is broken, when you're lonely, when you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're battling depression. Or, or it doesn't even have to be that big a deal. You can be walking through the house at night, going to the bathroom for the third time and stub your toe and you're like, where is God? Right? 
It doesn't even take anything big to get our eyes off of God. And that's what I want you to notice today. Things can be going fairly well. You could even say that things are mountaintop in nine out of ten areas of your life, and that one area can bring you down. It's because in America we're spoiled, and we actually expect ten out of ten things should be good. Or, God, what's the problem? Right? One thing can bring you down. And I'm not saying it's not bad. That one thing changes your perspective, and it's bad, and it hurts. And there's some things that hurt us. But I want to I remind you of something my, my favorite seminary professor taught me years ago. I've said it before, but I don't think I've ever had you write it down. And here it is. Suffering drastically reduces your wish list. Suffering drastically reduces your wish list. And can I just tell you this? Sometimes your wish list, my wish list, needs to be reduced because there's too much stuff on there. Now, I don't know why I'm always surprised when you folks write on your cards, because every week I ask you to write on your registration card. And, uh, and when you take it seriously, though, it blows my mind. So last week, you know, I, I, I had the, the stretcher up here, and I said, you know, if some of you came up here, if, you, if you've got something that keeps you going back to the stretcher, you need Jesus to, to do something. A lot of you came up here, and you put down stuff. And so I went home last week, and I started reading. Here's a picture of the, the, the stack I got last week. I, I have them right next to my chair where I have my personal devotional, and I started reading those last Sunday afternoon, and I just go, God, you blow me away when people take you seriously, and they say, God, this is what I need. And here's Here's what that stack of cards reminded me all during this week is that new lifers are very, very acquainted with suffering, which means new lifers are very, very acquainted with the valleys. And we're going to talk about the valleys today. Now, for just a second, I want you to think about um, the areas that are going well in your life. And some of you are like, there's no areas going well. Well, let me help you out. Um, if you're married, and maybe your marriage is going well. If you have a car that runs, not a bunch of cars that run, one that runs. If you have a roof over your head, if you have a job, if you have a friend, one is better than none, right? Think real, real quickly. Just start listing. It was only two weeks ago that we had Thanksgiving. You're supposed to be good at this. You should be practiced up. So just real quickly, name those things. You know, in your mind. Sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it? Now let me ask you this. Where's that one area? It is a thorn in your flesh. It is taking you down. You thought of it like that, didn't you? Yeah, we, we, we remember the bad stuff. And let me ask you this. Where is God in that area you just thought of like that? You said, this, is, this makes the rest of my life suffer. Well, if, if his name is Emmanuel, if the character of Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, where is God in that area you just thought of? Where is he? He's with us. Now, I want you to think about this. In the Bible, the valley can represent a lot of different things. It can represent where battles took place. And if, if the cards last week are any indication, many of you are in a valley in a battle right now. Um, the valley in the Bible could be a season of desperation. And there were lots of times God's people were desperate, and they were in valleys, and they were desperate. Some of you on your cards, you're desperate. It could be a season of loneliness, and more than one person last week said, I am in a season, I'm in a valley of loneliness. Janie and I talked about this just recently, and we've talked about it several times how when we, were, when we were dating back in college, not dating each other, just kind of dating around or whatever, we would get really, really lonely, and sometimes we would go out on dates simply because we were lonely, not because we were, you know, seeking the Lord or anything like that. Loneliness makes you do some weird things. 
Well, I thought I understood loneliness, but I didn't until I graduated from Baylor. So my freshman year at Baylor, um, I had two roommates in a, in a room about the size of from here to there. There's a bunk bed on this side, and there's one over here. So I, I wasn't really ever alone. Then I met a, a, a young man named Doug Still. He became my roommate my sophomore through my senior year. So for two years, sophomore and junior year, Doug and I were in a room about this big with, with two bunk beds. And then my senior year, his younger brother moved in. So there were three of us in the room about this size with bunk beds. And, and so I was never really alone until I moved to the Metroplex. I graduated from Baylor. I got a new job and I went to the Metroplex. And I remember moving into that apartment. I had nothing. There was no one else. And I suddenly became very, very lonely. See, the, the girlfriend that I'd been dating for several months, it's not funny. Um, we broke up the day after I moved in. She and her brother came and helped me move in. And I, and I just kind of looked at her and I thought, I, I'm playing games with this girl. I'm not going to marry her. I need to break up. So we broke up, and then, then I got really, really lonely because there's nobody around. My brother lived about a mile away. His children were little bitty kids. I went to his church, and, and I tried to connect, and he kept telling me to go to this other church where there were lots of prospects, lots of women to meet, and I said, I'm not going to go to a church for prospects. It's a meat market. Um, so I got really, really lonely, so I bought, a, I bought an answering machine because I thought, well, people must be calling and missing me, and weeks went by and not a single message on the answering machine. I'm like, you are a loser, and you are lonely. And so after about four or five weeks, I actually went back to the girl that I knew I wasn't supposed to marry, and I said, hey, what do you think about getting back together? And by the grace of God, she blew me off. And I looked back, and that was a good thing. Loneliness was causing me to do something that I I didn't want to do. I was in a valley. I knew she wasn't going to be my wife, and, and, and I was tempted to go places and do things that I shouldn't do because I was in a valley of loneliness. And some of you can, can relate to that. Now, one of the things in the Bible that's most interesting to me is, is most often a valley is described as a time of growth. I want you to think about this. Moses went to the Mount Sinai, the top of the mountain, and there he got the Ten Commandments. It was one-on-one time, 40 days between Moses and God. He got all of the Old Testament law. He wrote all of that stuff down, brought it back, and gave it to the Israelites. But he was never intended to stay on the mountain because he knew God as the lawgiver on the mountain, but he learned who God was intimately when he went back to the valley and started living life. Um, Peter, James, and John got to be on the Mount of Transfiguration is what we call it, where Jesus, right in front of them, his, his clothes become as white as lightning. It's just this incredible thing. And then Moses and Elijah show up, people from the Old Testament that they knew who they were, and they're talking to Jesus, and it's this incredible thing. Only three disciples were up there, Peter, James, and John. Janie and I went to this mountain, and it's this beautiful mountain where they think it happened. We're not sure, but they said, that we call this the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus transfigured in front of his people. And so we go up on top of that mountain, and, and you, it's an it's an incredible experience but what you notice is this mountain's in the middle of nowhere and any way you go off that mountain you go way back down into this valley and so Peter's on top of the mountain and Peter said hey I'm going to build some temporary shelters because this is awesome there's Jesus there's Moses there's Elijah we're going to hang out around uh, with these guys for a little bit and God says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and let me let me give you the Douglas Washburn translation of what Jesus what God was saying there this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased my translation is you got two ears one mouth Shut up and listen, because you're not supposed to stay on this mountain. I've called you to go back down into the valley and tell people about me. See, that's, that's the thing you need to understand. Um, every time, I want you to say every time. Every time I've experienced the power and presence of God in my life in a life-changing way has been when I was in the valley, including the valley I, my family and I are in right now. My prayer time, my time in the word of God has increased 
Because we sing this little chorus, but this is what I wrote down here. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. And I'm just going to tell you this. This valley that we're in has drastically reduced my wish list. I don't give a rip if I get any presents for Christmas. I don't care about that. I want two things this Christmas. I want my family to be at peace and to be drawn back together, to be healed. And I want this family my spiritual family at New Life Community Church to be healed and to be united. I don't care if you give me anything else. That's all that matters this Christmas. See, we enjoy God on the mountaintop. We get to know him in the valleys. We've been to youth camp, and I've been to some of the most incredible youth camps I've ever seen in my life where we had the presence of God just right in front of us where sometimes we couldn't even speak or sing because we're just so in awe of who God is. We've been to Winter Jam or to, to Outcry Tour where all of these Christian um, groups sing, and, and my family has been to those. We've been to them with the church. We've been to them as individuals. We've been to concerts. Janie and I have been to conferences, and, and we thoroughly enjoyed the presence of God, and we enjoy him when times are good, but we get to know him in a very real way when we're in the valley. Well, it's with that idea that I want to show you a psalm. It's Psalm 84. And by the way, if you, if you don't carry a Bible, I want to start encouraging us to carry a Bible to church. And, and especially, if I'm, i got to get a new one. Mine, mine my brothers gave me when I was in eighth grade, and it's falling apart. I don't even know where the cover is anymore. Like the first 11 chapters of Genesis are gone. I had them for a while. They, they ripped out. And the other day, I accidentally hit my Bible, and chapter 11 was gone. I tried to put it there and tried to tape it. it just, it's just awkward. It's time for me to get a new Bible. But what I love about the Bible, number one, my brothers gave it to me. Number two, there's so many notes in my Bible that when I, when I read through them, it may have been 30 years ago, it may have been 40 years ago, God told me something. I go, wow, that's good stuff. I want you to understand that when God speaks to you, he's not just speaking to you for right now, and he's not just speaking to you. He's speaking so that you can tell somebody else what you just learned. And maybe another season of your life, it comes back out and you say, oh my goodness. So I want to encourage us in, the, in 2019 to have some type of Bible where you can take notes, where you can highlight things, and you can write stuff down to, be, to go over that over and over again. Well, this is one of those times where it'd been, it would have been helpful if I'd have told you this a couple weeks ago, but I didn't. So let's read these verses, and then we're going to take them apart phrase by phrase. Uh, Psalm 84, beginning in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. We're going to look at some phrases. The first one we're going to look at is the valley of Baca. Most likely, this was related to a tree because it's spelled very similar to a tree that was in Israel. And on this tree, the sap would ooze out. So like if you're walking by a tree, and, and let's say we were visiting Israel, we'd say, what kind of tree is that? They would say, that's a weeper. That's a weeping tree. And so you'll see this, this phrase translated different ways depending on which Bible translation you get. It's called the valley of tears, the valley of weeping, or the valley of loss, something like that. And anytime a, a Hebrew reader would see the word valley in the scripture, they would know is a very dangerous place. It could be covered with thorns. It could be, a, a, you know, there could be wild animals. There could be wild people hiding in the crags trying to, waiting to rob you. 
in, in those days in, Hebrew, in, in the Israelite time that we're talking about, it was very dangerous. It was almost impossible to get through a valley without something bad happening. So the Hebrews reading these verses would be very surprised. Now, these verses were written by someone called the sons of Korah. If you have a Bible, especially a study Bible, the, at the beginning of Psalm uh, 84, it says the sons of Korah, a psalm of the sons of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. The sons of Korah were the worship leaders in the temple. They were the ones who sang. They were the ones who wrote some of the psalms. I, I don't remember how many is like in the teens, 13, 19, I don't know, somewhere there's uh, maybe 19 uh, psalms that the sons of Korah wrote to sing in worship. And this is one of the psalms. And, and here's, here's what this passage says. We're going to take it apart. Blessed are those whose strength is found in you. Now, is that a, is that a lowercase y or a capital Y? So when we're saying our strength is found in you, who are we talking about? God, not you, not me. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you. No, 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 I'm sorry. We're talking about God here. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, this probably won't make sense to you. And if you are a follower of Christ, I want you to think about before you met Christ, if you can remember, some of us can't remember that far. I was six, so I don't remember a whole lot before that. But, but those of you who are recent converts to Christianity, was there ever a time you thought, I am so done with this life? I'm over all this garbage that I'm going through. I'm done. Anyone? Now, as gently as I can tell you this today, I need to tell you, if you don't know God, you is all you have. Then pop that up there. Think about this. If you don't know God, your bank account, what's in your bank account, that's all the resources you're going to have. Your, your friends, your family, um, your strength, your wisdom, whatever it is, it's all you're going to have. Now, I've been in a lot of churches. I grew up in a, southern, in a, in a fundamental Baptist church and went to a Southern Baptist church. I've been in Southern Baptist churches for years all over the state of Texas, and I've never once heard somebody sing this. Now I have Douglas Washburn power living on the inside. Douglas, you have given us freedom. Y'all ever sang that one? I have Tammy Ward. That doesn't fit. There's not enough syllables. Tammy Ward, power. (laughs) Jeffrey Gillis, power. We don't sing that, do we? What do we sing? What song am I referencing? I have resurrection power living on the inside. Jesus, you have given us freedom. There's this thing called resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, the one who has resurrection power. Now, we're going to do something. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, if the Bible is true, you're going to say it is. Say, it is. Okay, now, y'all know I like, like punctuation, so this is an exclamation point. I'm going to say, if the Bible is true, you're going to say, it is, exclamation point. It is. All right, then I'm going to say, if Jesus can be believed, he can All right, let's practice. If the Bible is true, and if Jesus can be believed, check this out, check this out. Resurrection power is available to anyone of his followers. Resurrection power. Either the Bible's true, either Jesus can be trusted, or what we're doing is a sham. Resurrection power can be available to his Christ followers. Now, when I was in college, 
My freshman year, I met a, a young man named Doug Steele. He lived across the hall from me. We became best friends. I mean, wherever one of us was, the other. It didn't matter what we were doing. We ended up living together for three years uh, as roommates. And, and so they would call us Doug and Doug, or they'd say Doug Squared or D2, you know, they, Doug Squared, because we were together all the time. One of the things everybody who knew us knew is three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we were going to be at the gym. And back then, this was long before some of the more modern techniques, the, the best thing we could do was my, my high school coaches had given us a copy of uh, Texas Christian University's Horn Frogs workout schedule. We thought well, this was pretty cool. This was a college workout schedule. And the biggest thing we did was, was bench press because that was what we thought was the coolest thing. So we would go, we would warm up Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Everybody knew us. Here, here comes Doug Squared. And we would be in there bench pressing. And sometimes we would say, let's go and see just how far we can go. And so we'd be bench pressing. I'd be bench pressing Doug's up here and he's watching me and I get slower and slower because it's just going to happen. And then you go all the way to failure, right? You, you, you bounce it off your chest and you start coming up and Doug's going, come on, wash. You know, he's all in my face, spit going. It's not really cool. And he's going, come on, wash. And he puts his hands down and he starts pulling. And then, then you know he's serious when he grabs the bar because if you just need a little bit, they'll put their fingers there, you know. But he grabs the bar and you see him sweating and veins coming out on his neck. And he's, it's all you, wash. Come on, man. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, thanks for saving me because I couldn't get it up, but that was all you. When my power was gone, Doug Still's power took over. Can I tell you? The good news is you don't have to trust Doug Still's power or Doug Washburn's power. There's resurrection power that takes over when you fail, when your strength is gone. That's what the name Emmanuel means God is with us and his strength will take over. Blessed are you whose strength is found in God. Paul even said, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Text doesn't say, blessed are those who make it on their own. Blessed are those who pull, their own, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Blessed are those who are really, really, really determined. No, it says, blessed are you if your strength is in God. And you know, a huge problem we have, especially in America, is we idolize um, those people who are individuals right? I did it my way. And we're like, yeah, you did it your way. Yeah. I was talking to Caleb uh, years ago before his brain was fully formed, which means he was a teenager, um, <laughs> before it was fully comprehended. <laughs> so you're a teenager, don't get mad. Come talk to me and I'll explain to you when, when, you, when your brain will be fully formed. It's about 24. Um, that's actually science, but we, we won't argue that right now. But he said something to me that's always stuck with me. He was probably 16, 17. He said, I have no trouble, no problem trusting God. It's people I don't trust. And we had this little teachable moment. And I said, dude, dude, let me tell you something. Your heavenly father created you with this, with this need to trust him and this need to connect with and trust with other people. If there's not a human being you trust, I'm willing to bet you don't really trust God either. See, God created you to, to depend on him, to, to depend on a power and have a power greater than yourself. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Resurrection power is available, but the strength is only available to those who ask for it. How many of you love asking for help? In the first service, this was really interesting. I asked that question in the first service, and there were some kids, like below 10. Everyone, I'm like, I like asking for help, and I thought, wow, isn't that indicative of, of us? When we get older, we think we got it. I don't need you, God. I don't need resurrection power until something devastating happens, and then, then we're crying, where are you, God? 
Now, let me, let me show you a different translation of verse 5. This is the New Living Translation. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, what does that mean? Um, we may be in a valley, but we're going... We're going to this place known as the city of refuge. Now, in the Old Testament, a city of refuge was a place where someone who accidentally killed someone else could go and have a fair trial. So like you're chopping with your axe, the axe head flies off and it hits somebody else and kills them. The Bible said that, that, that their relatives could kill you unless you ran to a city of refuge and you would be protected. So this is saying when you're going through the valley of tears, you're going through the valley of loss, you're actually on this journey to a place where you can be protective and, and protected. And the Bible actually calls Jerusalem, Zion, a place of peace. You go through the valley of tears to get to the place of, of peace. And that's actually what one translator said, one commentator said. To get to the city of refuge, you had to travel through the valley of tears. To get there, you had to go through there. And this, this one, uh, I'm reading um, Warren Wiersbe's commentary through the, the Bible. I'm in Nehemiah right now. Here's what he said this week I came across. Our tears, yours and I's, Ours, what are the, t the seeds of providence that God has planted on our path? And look at this. Without our tears, those seeds could never grow and produce fruit. If that's true, I got, I got some serious harvest coming up down the road because I've, I've cried and prayed more than I had in these last two months than I have in my entire life combined. If you've ever, if you've never experienced darkness, do you really appreciate light? Sometimes to get to where you appreciate the power and the presence of God, sometimes, actually a lot of times, you've got to go through a little bit of pain or a lot of pain to where you finally, your, your wish list is so reduced that you say, all I want is you, God. I saw one of my best friends, they came to see Janie and me on, on Thursday. And, and he said, Doug, I prayed a prayer a few years ago and God, God overwhelmed me. He said, God, I, I just want to be who you want me to be. And he said, man, I went through the valley so that I could learn who God is. It's just the way God works. Oftentimes, because we're humans, we've got to go through the valley of tears to get to the place of peace. Now, anybody here want to go to the place of peace? Shay does. She wants to go there. Let me show you. The only people who get to the place of peace are those who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, set your minds. Here's, here's the thing. In the Christian... Actually, it doesn't matter, but any life before Christ, you... Your mind is so important. What you think about is so important. So, so I, want you to, I want you to try something. We're going to set our minds on something. I want, you to, I want you to say something with me. Put that up there if you would, Travis. Okay, so this is, this is responsive reading. So you're going to say, what you think you are. What you think you are. Now, I used to do this with my teenagers when I would be teaching them my youth group, when I'd be teaching them a scripture. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to emphasize a different word. So now we're going to say, what you think you are. All right, now you're going to say what you think you are. All right, now, we're going to put a little punctuation in there because you all know how much I like punctuation. I talk about it all the time. Here's, here's the way you're going to read this. What you think you are. That was good. Y'all are so good at responsive reading. We're not going to do it very often, but we will do it some. You've heard people say you are what you eat. Well, in life... The way you approach life, you are what you think. So look what Paul says about your mind and how you control your mind. Look what he says to the Colossian church, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. How many of you would admit right now that this past seven days, you have set your mind on earthly things more than heavenly things? Anyone? 
How's that working out for you? Is it bringing you to the place of peace? No. We do the opposite. We, we look at earthly things and then, then last, oh, hey, God, would you do something? And God says, no, 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 you look at me and you look through my perspective at those earthly things, it changes your perspective. Prayer is not about getting your will done. It's getting God's will done in you. Look what he says in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Um, when you're in a conflict, with, especially with your spouse, do you think about things that are true, noble, right? She says something makes you mad. Is what you're thinking true that she meant to hurt you? Is it noble that you want to hurt her back? Mm-hmm. I know you. I've heard you. Some of you pour out your heart, you, you told me, and I'm like, that's not noble. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, brother. Is it admirable? If we use this as a filter before we talk to other people, do you think that would make a difference? Because I'm telling you, I've read this in a marriage book years ago, and, and if Janie hurts me, she never hurts me on, on purpose. So if she hurts me and I go and I say, is it true she meant to hurt me? No. Is what I'm thinking to hurt her back, is that noble? No. Is it right? No. Is it pure? No. Is it lovely? Oh, no. If I, if I do this as a filter with my mind, if I set my mind on things above, it radically impacts how I react to my wife, which radically impacts my life. Right? Your mind is important. So where you are is one thing, but what you think about is something else. Maybe you're in a valley, but your mind can be set upon God. Maybe your heart is racing and you're anxious. Anxiety is big in, in our world today, but your heart can be set on God. There may be too much to do. And, and how many, no, I'm not even going to ask this because, uh, uh, but there are people in the room who are actually dreading Christmas because they got to be around people they're related to. <laughs> Travis. <laughs> I always count on Travis to, to tell me the truth, right? And, and so you can be worried about in-laws. You can be worried about all this stuff, but your mind can still be set on God. How are we going to pay for Christmas? Your mind can be set on God. I may be in the valley, but my mind is set on the kingdom of God. I'm on a pilgrimage. Oh, I love this. I'm going to the place of peace. Look at this uh, phrase in Psalm 84, 6. As they do what? As they do what? Pass through the valley of tears. The valley of tears is not my destination. It's not my home. I'm passing through. I'm going somewhere else. David said something like this, and you've heard this. Even if you hadn't heard Psalm 84, you've heard Psalm 23 when he said, even though I walk... Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? I'm going through the valley. I'm not going to the valley. Why will I fear no evil? Because your name is Emmanuel. Your character is Emmanuel, and you are with me. Would it make a difference if you really believed that Jesus was walking with you through the valley? The valley's not my destination. The valley's real. It's dark. It may end in death. I may be hurting right now, but I'm not going to be hurting forever. I may be in a dark place right now, but I'm not going to be in a dark place forever. And if we're really, really honest, what do we pray when we're in the valley? It's not God get me through. It's get me out. I want out now, God. And does God usually answer that prayer? No, he usually says, hey, remember my name is Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God is with us in the valley. Look at the next phrase. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Okay, this is really cool. And you'll only hear me say this once or twice in my lifetime. But I really like the King James translation of this. 
I don't use King James very often. That's, that's the, the backup pastor who does that. Um, but, but this is great because it says, instead of make it a place of springs, it says make it a well. Well, what does that mean? Whenever you're in a dry place, the scripture says, what do you do? You dig a well. Why? Because God's going to bring some rain. See, you, he's not brought it yet, but he's going to. He's waiting to see if you really believe what he says. You dig this, this well, and then God brings the spring rains and fills it up. When you're dry and you're hurting, you make room for the presence of God. Don't we usually do the opposite? When we're dry, when we're hurting, we blame God. We run away from the church. We run away from Christians. We run away from folks that we admire their walk with Christ. Instead of digging a well and saying, God, I'm waiting on you to fill it. See, it's like God saying, show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. If I dig it, if, if you dig it, God's saying, he will fill it. If you prepare for me, I'm going to show up. When Jesus encountered the man with a withered hand, y'all remember that? He, he encountered a man with a withered hand, and the first thing he said was, stretch out your hand. Now, we go to Haiti. There's a young man named Billy. He's Pastor Jude's son, and he has a withered hand. And, and the kids, they don't act like there's anything wrong, but, but I've noticed something. And, and he plays games with us. He does everything everybody else does, but I've noticed something. Billy never just stretches out his hand to, to reach it out to you because it's probably a source of, of, uh, of, of shame. Jesus said, I want you to stretch that hand out to me. It's like you move first. You show me you believe I'm going to do something and I'll heal it. And immediately he healed it. When Jesus met the man who'd been lame, he was born lame, 38 years he'd been lame, he could not walk. You remember what he said to him near the pool of Siloam? He said, first he said, stand up, roll up your mat and walk. It's like, show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. God has told us in Scripture, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. He's told us, if you seek me, you will find me. And then he says this, if you seek me with all your heart, not with part of your heart. If you make room for me, I will reveal myself to you. So if God hasn't shown himself to you in a long time, maybe you need to dig a well. Maybe you need to just be still. Now, I don't know if you realize this. God rarely shows himself to people who are, who are racing through life, who are rushed, Imagine Moses, when y'all all know the story of the, of the burning bush, imagine Moses is on his mule and he's going 75 miles per hour by the burning bush. That'd be some kind of mule, right? Maybe it's this kind of mule and not that kind of mule, all right? So he's in his little side-by-side -side mule and he's got Mrs. Moses there and he's driving like y'all do with your foot all the way down to the floorboard. Did you see that? See what? I don't know, that bush was burning. So you turn back around. I want you to get a picture. I want you to put it on, on Instagram and I want you to put the hashtag, that bush is burning. And let's just keep on going 75 miles an hour through life. You remember what happened when, when Moses saw the burning bush? He goes up and sees it, and the first thing God said was, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Now, that, that's really the theological implication. He's on holy ground. You're before a holy God. Take off your shoes. But take off your shoes can also mean sit down a while. I want you, I want you just to rest in my presence for a while because I've got some things to teach you. Most of us, especially this time of year, we're flying around 75 miles an hour. It's no wonder God doesn't, because God doesn't act that way. When you make him a priority, he makes you a priority. There's some verses that you need to hear today. Somebody needs to hear. Exodus 14, 13. Stand still and you will see the Lord save you today. Ruth 3, 18. Sit still until you know how the matter will turn out. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Some of you need to hear that. 
You need to dig a well right where you are. Instead of, instead of complaining, instead of running around doing things in your power, God, I'm going to wait for you and I'm going to believe that you are with me. And here's the thing. God never promised that you would not go through a valley. What he promised was you'll never go through a valley alone. That's the meaning of God with us. Now, when you get that, there's a huge reward. And here it is in verse 7. They, people who get that, who dig a well, who wait for God, who are going to Zion, they go from strength to strength until they are in the presence of God. And this says it's Zion or Jerusalem. For those who lean on God, your little bit of strength becomes more strength. And the next time you lean on God, it becomes more strength. And the next time you lean on God, it becomes more strength until before you know it, you are in the presence of the almighty God. And it doesn't matter what happens to you. And I think that's where God wants us all to be. It's not our strength, but his strength. And where you're going to get to know the character of God, where he reveals his character, is in the valleys. There's some things that you and I cannot learn on the mountaintop because we're human. So here's some things that that you learn in the valley. What do you learn in the valley? In a valley of weakness, you learn God is your strength. In the valley of darkness, what do you think God is? What, What does he reveal? He's your light. In the valley of trouble, who is God? He's our help. When you're in the valley of pain, you know who the Bible says God is? He's your comforter. Now, some of you are in a different valley, and I want you to think about that valley as we pray here in a second, and I want you to write that down. But here's what God's going to show us in the valley. He says, don't be afraid, because the same God that is good to us on the mountaintop is just as good to us in the valley. The same God who was with us on the mountaintop is also with us in the valley. If you're in a valley right now, you're passing through. You won't be there forever. If you're in a time of darkness, it's not always going to be dark. God's good. He's with you. He's present. And he will be with you and and take you from strength to strength until, until you're consumed by his presence. Until you understand this name, Emmanuel, means God is with you all the time. Now, just very quickly, how many of you would admit today that you're in a valley? That's a lot of us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that that some of those people who raise their hands, and I pray all of those people who raise their hands today will dig a pit. They'll dig a well. They'll prepare for your provision and power and presence. They'll pause before you and say, God, I need you. They'll pause and say, God, as I draw near to you, draw near to me like your word says. I pray for miracles, God. And we thank you even before you answer those prayers, even before we see you move. We praise you, God, not for what you do, but we praise you for who you are. Your name, your character is Emmanuel, God with us. You'll never forsake us. Remind us of that this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.